Hi, welcome to the next episode in the BGS Classive podcast. Uh, this one is on the character of Odysseus, thinking particularly about that section of the Homeric world. So when you're thinking about the character, um, it's not a straightforward character. This is not a kind of Hollywood movie where somebody's painted really, really simply. Um, there's a lot of quite complex um, different facets. Now, in the exam, you're likely to be expected to make a comparison a judgment on Odysseus as a character in terms of his leadership, his relation with others as a husband and a father, uh, his status as warrior and hero, his intelligence or oratorical skills and his relationship with Athena. So if we start thinking about him as um, a husband, one of the things that strikes people from a very modern perspective is him as a sort of um, as a womanizer, as somebody who uh, sleeps with other women other than his wife, um, one of the exam tips the textbook gives, and I think it's worth bearing that in mind, is that it's worth starting to think about what the Greeks might have yeah. thought about it. And that doesn't mean that's where you have to stop, but it is definitely worth not leaping into what would I think if I read a modern novel um, with that character in. So yeah, he does um, sleep with Calypso. Bear in mind, Calypso is not part of your um, prescribed books, but Circe is the main one in book 10. Um, and uh, she's um, beautifully drawn character by Homer, um, but she definitely is somebody who's um, rather tricksy and complicated, whether or not we want to use the word witch um, is one perhaps to leave, because um, it takes longer, I think, than this podcast <laughs> um, to, to look at the word witch. Um, but, but yeah, bear in mind um, the involvement of the gods here. So Odysseus does sleep with Circe, but it is at the behest of, of uh, Hermes. So Hermes appears and gives him some advice, he tells him uh, what antidote to take to avoid her, her pharmaca, her, her, her potions. And, um, and he tells her to draw his sword, to rush at her, and then she will be seized with fear and she'll invite him to bed and do not refuse the goddess's favours. So, go on, sorry. So just like um, with Athena, getting help from a goddess makes you impressive. Um, and um, whether it's help or whether it's uh, sleeping with the goddess, um, that's not a case of, well, you've been given a bit of help, so it was a bit easier. It's more a case of the, the, the kleos, there's a good word for you to learn, K-L-E-O-S. Um, the kleos that comes from that, the glorious reputation that you get from that um, is one that you would kind of live with and that would, that would live with you for your um, your time on this earth and, of course, into eternity. It's your way of being an eternal um, figure. Um, even though you are going to die after your death, people will talk about you and say, oh, that Odysseus, he got these help from this god, um, from this goddess, he slept with um, Circe, and that will be part of your immortality. It's, it's a rare achievement for a mortal to sleep with an immortal, and that's what gives Odysseus the chaos in this instant. So the next relationship we're looking at is fatherhood and and his husband uh, him being a husband so he's obviously the father of telemachus and his his positive attributes as a father can be seen in telemachus's obedience so when he sends him to fetch the weapons from the armory he gives him clear instructions he even says what to say if any of the suitors are suspicious um he sends his son to bed and duly telemachus follows when it comes to the battle 
he gives Telemachus tips on how to fight. And again, he obeys his father and they succeed. So even though we don't see um, some kind of traditional father relationship growing up, because, of course, Odysseus has been away for 19 years, nonetheless, you do get this sense of what it would have been like um, if he had been his father all through. And he, he sort of creates this archetype of, a, um, of this, this kind of really good figure as a, char- as a character, as a father. Um, Odysseus's relationship with other men um one of the key relationships is with his crew now it's worth bearing in mind of course one of the key things uh, to remember about this is by the time he gets to Ithaca he doesn't have any crew now um do you blame him for that well partly there are aspects that you can blame the fact that all of his crew die um who else do you blame well actually you can blame the crew you can blame poseidon if you want because he's kind of you could suggest he's a little bit overzealous in his um sort of chasing down of odysseus but what you can do is you can plot the way that odysseus interacts and the way that he leads his crew right the way through um all five books that you do which of course 9 10 19 21 and 22 so we can look at him as a leader and his relationship with his crew, crew in terms of the successes and failures of them following his instructions. So in terms of the positives, um, when some of his men become addicted to the lotus flower and he orders his men to leave the island, he puts some of the men under the benches to stop them uh, continuing their addiction to this, to this uh, flower and it's successful. The men listen to him immediately. Similarly, when they sail to the island of the Cyclopes, he tells them their plan and there's no opposition. So it's a clear act of leadership and abeyance. When it comes to the blinding of Polyphemus, the whole team work together. Again, it's good leadership and good relationship with his crew. And the, the book nine Cyclops incident, I think, is a really good um, uh, sort of passage to keep in mind because it has all the different aspects So if you pursue the idea of Odysseus as a leader in Book Nine, um, there are some um, key moments um, to remember. So getting into the Cyclops cave in the first place, is that a good idea? You know, should he have been a bit more cautious? Certainly when it gets to Book Ten and uh, Circe, he's a bit more cautious. And he says, well, hang on, let's all split up and let's do this. Is that him learning? Um, or is it actually just that he deals with different situations in different ways? Um, that's that's open to um, to, to kind of uh, debate in a sense. But um, something to remember is the end of book nine. And at the end of book nine, he doesn't say, oh, thank goodness we got away from that Cyclops. Quick, let's hot foot it or sort of hot ship it, shall we say, um, all the way to Ithaca. What he says is, hang on, guys, I need to shout at this guy. And he abuses him, uh, abuses Polyphemus the Cyclops, and he says, ah, I knew I was going to beat you, um, I'm Odysseus, and he, he basically brings on this curse that, um, that Polyphemus the Cyclops um, calls upon him um, to his father Poseidon. And his, and his crew try to stop him. At that moment when he's, when he's making that curse, when he's calling out Cyclops, his crew are saying, this is not a good idea, and he doesn't listen. Two aspects where he is a good leader to his men is his provision, he provides for them, and his, his sensible militaristic approach when he arrives at a new place, mostly. No exceptions. So in terms of provision, uh, he shows the superhuman feat of killing a huge stag in Book Tan, 
tent and he drags it back single-handedly to his crew. He also um, divides up the spoils and makes sure all the men are provided for in book nine with the sheep. Um, and then obviously when they defeat the Sikones, he makes sure that their spoils are divided amongst the men fairly. So you can build up uh, an argument on either side of, where, of his leadership. Don't sit on the fence and don't, don't come down hard on either way, but make sure you've got evidence in whatever your opinion is for both sides. Now, when you're thinking about Odysseus as a hero, he's one of the few heroes, I think it's fair to say, who's seen as being a leader, leading a group of people around. Um, certainly in Homer's Iliad, you get people fighting for themselves, um, fighting kind of part of, a, part of an army, but not sort of necessarily leading people on a journey. Um, so it's easy to see Odysseus as just being this leader, taking his men around to the, you know, trying to get to their home. It's also easy to see Odysseus um, as you see him in the beginning of book five. Now, that's not one of your set books, but it's an interesting one to have a look at if you, if you want to kind of broaden out beyond your set books. So at the beginning of book five, he's on a beach crying because he can't bear to be away from his home for any longer. So it's easy to see Odysseus as a kind of anti-hero, sort of idea of you know him showing his emotions, the idea of him being too emotional, not like Achilles and that sort of thing. But when the situation demands it, Odysseus is a big, mighty, kind of powerful hero in the Homeric model. So for example, um, you know, this this whole kind of idea of might is right. Um, this concept of being able to do something really impressive and, you know, what the Greeks might have called manly, okay? Um, and uh, killing the stag in book 10 is a good example of that. He's really good at it. He can use his bow. Of course, we find out about the bow and arrow um, skills later on in books uh, 21, 22. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got to see Odysseus as well as this cunning kind of figure who can come up with clever tricks. He's also a, a really impressive traditional um, Greek Homeric hero. And that's when he defeats the Sikones. The first time we see him in our prescribed books, he's, he's conquering, he's fighting in other peoples. And that is a simple case of a, a battle, a battle hardened, successful military leader, might is right. So powerful, mighty hero. And yet you do need to get into your head some concept of what you're going to come up with when uh, the exam question asks you how um, intelligent is Odysseus? Mm. What examples of oratorical skill um, that you can um, come up with in terms of his intelligence um, and his skills? So, for example, you've got this situation um, where he's keeping um, his... Uh, identity from Penelope, from his wife, in book 19. He's very careful not to sort of fall into the trap of just say, oh, here's who I am, and then he might get um, found out by the suitors and they might have the upper hand. You've got the situation where he's having his legs washed by the nurse and she works out who he is from the boar scar, and yet he doesn't just say, oh, yeah, that's who I am. He's very careful to say, okay. Now, you say this, don't say that, and, and he's got this very, very clear idea of, of strategy. He even weaves into his lies uh, elements of truth to make it more believable. He talks about Odysseus in the third person as this character, this individual he's met. He knows about Odysseus. He knows what Odysseus looks like. He knows what clothing Odysseus owned. And this uh, authenticates his lie and uh, makes Penelope believe him. Um, so it's a it's a complex um, 
kind of thing, his intelligence. And of course, it's not an intelligence that runs throughout every single episode. Um, It's an intelligence that slips. Um, I've mentioned already the end of book nine, and I'll come back to that. I think it's definitely worth um, keeping that in mind because it does answer so many of the questions that they like to ask. The concept of him saying, oh, you fool, we were escaping under these sheep. And ah, oh, here I here you are, um, and you know I'm Odysseus. Uh, I defeated you, you idiot, sort of thing. Um, that's not the mark of somebody who sat down and strategized what the best thing is, and then come up with it. That's somebody who's um, succumbing to their passion, succumbing to their um, you know their desire for um, for fame. You know their arrogance, if you like. And Odysseus does kind of walk this tightrope really between confidence and a kind of arrogance that might spill over. We mentioned earlier his leadership and his tactics when arriving at an island, but this could also be brought up into a question on intelligence and another example in favour. So when he arrives at an island, on two occasions, he makes the, the strategy of sending out uh, two scouts to go and look at the land and a herald to, to bring back any news. And that, that systemic approach, that kind of tactical approach is examples of his leadership and his intelligence. Uh, just to check, Mr Watkins, when you say scouts, we're not talking Cub Scouts, are we? Not. We're no. talking people sent out to try and work out, do, do, a, do a reconnoiter um, and work <laughs> out what's actually going on um, in the land. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and the final thing says is the final um, piece of uh, the jigsaw, if you like, is um, how his character relates to the gods. Um, now, of course, we talked elsewhere about um, the representation of the gods in, in Homer, but it's important to recognise that you can't keep that separate, in a sense, from the character of Odysseus, because as a modern reader, you can look at that and say, well, hang on, Athena's just helping him. Athena comes and makes him um, look like an old beggar. Athena comes and kind of helps him out with this, kind of gives tips all the way through the Odyssey. Um, And that's true, and that's definitely worth bearing in mind. Um, A couple of things to say, one is she disappears in books nine and ten, pretty much, Um, although that might be because he's telling the story to Alkinous. And he he might not be aware that she's there. Exactly. So so there might be some kind of clever way of Homer saying, um, you know, Odysseus says that he did all these things. And we know, of course, deep down that really Athena was involved in that. Um, But later on, she is quite crucial to some of the key moments But don't forget that for the Greeks, being uh, supported by the gods and being helped by the gods is not um, kind of a a bad thing. On the contrary, um, it's a sign of your heroism. So the example would expect you to know specifically where Athena helps him. We'll look at the other gods in in episode 2.8. But for this unit, we're looking specifically at Athena and her relationship with uh, Odysseus. Why would Athene want to uh, help Odysseus? Well, she is the goddess of wisdom, amongst other things. And here is Odysseus, a hero for whom wisdom is, is his sort of defining quality. So she helps him by just disguising him as a beggar. She helps him um, by protecting him with her aegis. Um, so she deflects the, uh, the spears from contacting him. But then when it actually comes to the, the battle itself, Homer's very keen to tell us that she withheld from him the power to determine the course of the fight. And the point of that is likely to tell us, actually, Odysseus is a hero. And even though the gods are on his side, or at least Athena's on his side, 
He can do this on his own. So all in all, um, you should be able to, or you should aim to kind of uh, think about what is it that makes Odysseus a good leader? And don't forget, as part of that, you think about his relationship with his men. What makes him a good fighter? You know, he's this mighty um, kind of uh, character. He's, he's powerful. He's strong. Um, he's very clever. Is he always a good leader? Well, I mean, the answer's no, really. He's not always. But you can think about, sort of try and make a list, two pieces of a side of paper or two pieces of a, um, two sides of a, um, a page of OneNote or whatever it might be. You know, Odysseus is a good leader, Odysseus is a poor leader and come up with examples. Um, his family, you know, is he a good husband? Is he a good father? Um, you know, would you like him? Um, they're not going to ask you that specifically that question, I don't think. But if you're thinking about that, if you'd been a Greek um, and you'd been sort of one of his men, um, would you have found him to be a, a, a decent leader?